Well, happy Resurrection Day, or Easter, or somebody else told me Redemption Day. Uh, there's so many names for this day, I don't, I don't know what to do with it. But we're here to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and it's glad, we're glad to have you here. My name is Harold, if I didn't get a chance to meet you, I'm the campus pastor here at Grace Point Church. And uh, it's interesting, um, <clears throat> there's a lot of people that view the Bible as, um, you know, maybe a a good book that has some uh, fables and stories in it that we can maybe pull some truisms for life, you know, some things that we can kind of build our life upon. It's got some good teaching in it. But I have to understand that the Bible is a God-breathed book. It's a book of poetry. It's a, a book of prose, of prophecy, of doctrine, and real-life historical events like the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so... The great thing about it is, if we allow God's Word into our hearts and into our minds, He will transform our lives through just simply being in His Word and having a conversation with Him as He teaches us. See, Jesus Christ really lived. Um, even secular historians know that Jesus lived. They reported that Jesus lived. He really died a horrific death on a cross he really is God, and because he's really God, he is and was able to raise himself from the dead. And, and so the question for us today is, what does that mean? What does it mean if Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and we know he did, what does that mean for us today? It's an event that happened 2,000 years ago. And so that's a question we want to talk about today as we look into the Apostle John's eyewitness account of uh, of the resurrection. So go ahead and turn to John chapter 20. We've been in uh, the Gospel of John over the last several months, and so we're kind of coming to an end of this series. We've got a couple more weeks uh, in it. We're going to look at John 21 next week. But we're going to be in John 20, the resurrection. is page 1085, if you're using the Bible there to cheers. And we're going to find, it starts out, uh, as John's relating this to us, as he's looking back on it, he relates that Mary Magdalene uh, is going to head to the tomb. And so we want to see what happens? Go ahead and read here. <clears throat> it says, Now in the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, now the Bible, the other Gospels tell us that there are several other women who were with her. Just If you're a first-time attender here, you might be wondering, hey, that's not in the Bible that I'm reading, that orange. Yeah, the orange lettering is just me putting in like clarifying thoughts, um, maybe some of my own questions. As I've read through the passage, I do that because I'm not a real smart person, so... Uh, it takes me a long time. It probably doesn't happen for you, but like when I read the Bible, I've got to kind of read it over and over and really try to get the understanding of it. So I put in, when I'm working on it, I put in a lot of questions and that kind of stuff. Anyways, it might be helpful for you. I hope it is. But he says, I came early to the tomb. So these Mary and again, these other women came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the tomb already taken away, or a stone taken away from the tomb. Now, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, he tells us that there was an earthquake. And so maybe it was the earthquake that kind of shook things, and they kind of, whoa, we've got to see what's going on. Maybe something happened at the tomb. And when they would have gotten there, they, when they, they got there, they would have seen soldiers laying there. Uh, Matthew says it's like they were dead, so they'd been knocked out somehow. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and that's, again, how John referred to himself, and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that, and I start going, I, I just think this is strange. This doesn't seem right that Mary Magdalene would go to the tomb, the tomb, the body not be there, and her going, hey, they stole, 
the body. They, they took the body away. We don't know where they're at. Just doesn't, they should have realized, right? That he rose from the dead. And, and who are the they? <laughs> you know, maybe it's the Jewish authorities, right? Maybe they're the ones who had taken the body. Or maybe it's the, the Roman authorities that they took the body. We know from the other Gospels that there's actually angels there the first time. And so maybe the angels took the body. So what's going on? Because what ends up happening is the body's not there. So what's the explanation? Well, there's some options, so let's look at it. First one is this. It could be Mary Magdalene. She went to the wrong tomb. Now, I don't know about you guys, but um, I've been married for 31 years now, and, um, and I'm honest when I say this, if I ever get lost, the first person I'm asking is Kim. So you remember back in the day, they used to have the TomTom? It was before the phones, they had a GPS, and it was the TomTom. Well, I have a Kim Kim. And so anytime we go out driving, I, can, I don't know where I'm going, Kim knows where we're going. It's, it's just amazing. But beyond that, they knew, the ladies knew where the tomb was. Because on Friday, when it took Jesus' body off the cross, they followed Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, the guy from John 3, they followed them. So they knew where the, where the tomb was. And so obviously, when they go back on Sunday early morning, they know where the tomb is at. And not only that, but it's the only tomb that has 16 Roman soldiers sitting outside of it, or in this case, <laughs> laying outside of it. So that can't be the explanation of why the tomb is empty. Well, how about option number two? The disciples took the body. And in fact, that's what a lot of people believe. Well, the disciples went there and, and took the body. Well, let's think about that. Jason, last week, talked about Peter and his little hobbit sword. Uh, at least that's how I picture it. I mean, it was a full sword. But I just kind of, you know, marry from Lord of the Rings, you know, a little sword that they carried. They would have had to overpower 16 Roman soldiers. These guys were professional soldiers. These guys weren't easily overtaken by anybody. They were the ones who had conquered the world at that time. And not only that, but they would have taken the wrappings, and the, the face cloth. They wouldn't have left, they wouldn't unwrap the body and then taken the body. That would have made them unclean as Jewish people. And the other thing is it's impossible that 12, not to mention potentially 120, because we know from Luke and we also know from Acts that when the disciples were together, it wasn't just the 10 or 11 or 12 once they got Matthias. It was, it was a bunch of people. It was a bunch of followers of Jesus Christ. There's no way that they could have kept that lie going. Their lives were being threatened. Their lives were being put to death. In fact, some of you guys may know Charles um, uh, Colson. Uh, he was an advisor to President Nixon back in the 70s. Yeah, all the way back then. Some of us were still alive in the 70s. Um, and so he, he was an advisor. They had Watergate. He was uh, in prison for about seven months, found guilty of that scandal. Um, and, and he has a great quote. He came to know Christ later on. And he has a great quote as it pertains to the resurrection. This is what he says. I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men, and the Bible tells us actually over 500 people saw Jesus, but 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of the 12 was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. 
They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. And so it makes no sense that the disciples would have taken the body. So what's another option? Well, the other option would be that the authorities, Jewish or Roman, doesn't matter, that they would have taken a body. That would have been the dumbest thing for them to do. It would have gotten the rumor started that, the, that there was a resurrection. They needed the body. So if anybody said, hey, they took the body, no, 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 here's the, here's the body, it's right here. So Mary went to the right tomb. The disciples would have, wouldn't have been able to overpower 16 soldiers. The authorities needed a body, so they wouldn't have taken it. So the only option that we have in front of us that makes any logical sense is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. I know it seems crazy and it seems impossible, but it's not impossible. Jesus is God. He's infinitely powerful. The Bible tells us that God the Father was involved, that God the Son was involved, and God the Holy Spirit was involved. All three persons of the Trinity were involved in raising Jesus from the dead. Jesus could have just walked out of the tomb and left a stone in place. We're going to find out later here in John 20 that he actually shows up. He goes through the door without having it opened. So he could have done that, but they moved the stone. He had the, move, the stone moved away. Whether he did it, the angels did it, the earthquake, whatever happened, they had it open because they wanted everyone to see that the tomb was indeed empty. It's the only option that makes sense. And I get it. It's Wow, it's kind of hard to believe that that would, something would happen like that. But it happened because he's God. So this is awesome, right? Jesus Christ rose from the dead. His, his body's not there. Certainly Peter and John are going to set Mary and the other ladies straight. And so here's how they respond. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, again talking about John, and they were going to the tomb. So now these guys get into a little competition because they're typical guys. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there. Again, they would have been taken if someone did take the body. But he didn't go in. He's maybe kind of a chicken. We're not really sure. And so Simon Peter also came following him because <laughs> John was faster. He was tired. And he entered the tomb. I mean, when you're reading the Bible, you've got to you got to understand what's going on, right? Everyone kind of reads it. Peter was wore out. John was faster. He was trying to get him. Didn't get him. He's tired. He's... Anyways. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple, John, who had come to the tomb, then also entered, and he saw and believed. Believed what? Did he believe that uh, Mary's report that they came and got the body and she doesn't know where they're at or he's, he's at? Or did he believe that the resurrection happened? Now again, this is John relating back to that day and what was happening on that day. He's obviously wrote this a number of years later. And here's what he admits. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. In other words, John's saying, hey listen, Peter and I, when we got there, we believed Mary's report. We believed that Jesus' body was taken by they. And they have put him somewhere that we don't know where it is. 
So the disciples went away again to their homes. Luke 24 tells us that Peter marveled as he went home, which means to be disturbed, confused, unsure of what's, what's happening here. But Mary was standing outside the tomb, weeping. So how could Jesus' closest followers, Mary Magdalene, Peter, John, Peter and John were two of the three of Jesus' closest disciples, his inner circle. How could it be that they did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead? You would have th- thought, I almost said thunk, you would have thought that, that's back in Chicago, you would have thunk, you would have thought that they would have got up Sunday morning, the third day, made a little bit of breakfast, a little pack of picnic, go down to the tomb and just wait for it. But they didn't. Why? John admits it. He said, we didn't understand the scriptures. We didn't understand not only the Old Testament, but even what Jesus was saying. They didn't understand. They didn't understand that the Messiah had to die and it had to rise again. See, here's the deal. These guys, they knew bits and pieces of the Old Testament. And so and they weren't able to connect the dots. They, they knew that the Old Testament said, hey, there's going to be a Messiah who comes one day, it's, which is this, this king, savior, someone who's going to stand up on behalf of, of Israel and really all mankind, because the Old Testament tells us that too. And so they knew that, and they even said, Jesus, we know you're the Messiah. So they got that right. They also knew that in the Old Testament that there was going to be the kingdom of God. Jesus even said, I've come to bring the kingdom of God. And so they're expecting this physical kingdom, which the Bible tells us there will be. It'll be in our future still. It wasn't going to be that day. And so they were looking for this kingdom of God and that Jesus would be the king and that they would be the ones in political power. They would be helping Jesus run the kingdom. And we see this throughout the gospel that they... They even had discussions about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. They weren't talking about who would be the greatest in the heaven. They were saying who would be greatest in this earthly kingdom that Jesus was supposedly bringing to this world. That's why Peter drew his sword. Because he was going to defend the king. We we're going to take on these 200 people. And we're going to bring in the kingdom. Even after Jesus explained everything to them, and he was ready to go back to heaven. He's sitting there talking to his disciples. And they're like, um, Jesus, is now the time we're going to get the kingdom? I mean, these guys had a one-track mind. It was all about what was going to happen in their life on, in, in, on this earth. They didn't have the, the spiritual mind to understand what Jesus was talking about here. He's talking about the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven that first starts in people's hearts, in their lives, so people can first come into a relationship with God so that God has people for his kingdom one day, even on this earth, but then again in heaven. See, their focus was on earth. Their focus was on this life. They had expectations of what they understood from the Old Testament where they didn't connect dots, And when Jesus spent three and a half years teaching them and telling them what the plan was, they kept on going back to their expectations and and interpreting what Jesus said based off what they believed about the Old Testament. People do this all the time today. 
whether it's uh, issues of morality, of church leadership, how a church should be run, or on salvation, certainly. People have their expectations. People have their ideas. And so then they take their ideas and they put it back into Scripture. And then they interpret what Jesus says based off what they think. I mean, one of the great illustrations for that is, is salvation. The number of times I've talked to people about what Jesus said about what salvation is, John chapter 3, you know, and, or I take them to Ephesians where uh, God, the Holy Spirit, had given Paul, here's a real clear explanation in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, of, of what it means to place your faith in Jesus Christ and what happens at that moment of salvation. And then I get done and it's like, wow, you know, I really appreciate your thoughts on that. No, they're not my thoughts. I just read the Bible to you. You know, it's, it's God's thoughts. But we do this all the time. We put our thoughts and opinions, and they did the same thing. And so it made no sense to them that Jesus would die. It made no sense to them that he would rise from the dead because there was supposed to be something happening here on earth, and this wasn't happening. So Peter and John, they head back home. They're disturbed. They're confused. They're unsure what's going on. They leave Mary standing there weeping, and that, again, it has this idea that she's bawling her eyes out. She's just a, a, a wealth of emotion and sadness and grief. And so then let's see what happens next. And so as she, talking about Mary, wept, and again, you've got to see this ugly cry going on. I mean, she is just worked up. She stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one on the head and one at the feet where the, the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. She's real consistent with this. When she said, when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Now, maybe this is just me, you know, but you have to understand, she is so emotionally worked up. She's just a, a, just a, a mess. And so people would say, Well, why didn't she recognize Jesus? Well, for, just from a human standpoint, have you ever been so worked up emotionally like you can't even process things that are happening around you, whatever the situation is, and crying, and you, you know you look, and you, you know you're looking through tears. It's kind of hard, so it's obvious that she would you know look and kind of give a glance back and see there's someone behind her, but not really realize it's Jesus. So then Jesus said to her, "Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking?" And now John tells us, "Well, supposing him to be the gardener." Again, she's not looking at him; she's back looking at the linens and you know looking at what's going on in the tomb and. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And now you just kind of feel the emotion focus in on this, on this voice, right? And so she turns and she looks at him and says to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me. So, this is one of the things Mary is good at. She just, when she saw Jesus, she would just want to worship him because he's God. And so she, she does it again. She just falls at his feet. And he says, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brother and say to them, I ascend to my Father and to your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene then came announcing to the disciples. She has this idea that she is running. Her sandals are slapping in the dirt and she's screaming, yeah, I've seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. She's excited. And that he had said these things to her. It's so good that Jesus showed up for Mary to, to relieve her hopelessness. See, Mary's focus was earthly. 
It was what was, uh, what was before her. She was upset. And we get this. You know, those of us who have had loved ones pass away, and we know where they're buried, and we can go and bring flowers, and we can sit and, and remember the person and the good times we've had, and thank God for that person. And Mary wanted that. Mary wanted to know some place where she could go and remember Jesus and to, to think about him and to remember the good times and talk with others about him. But Jesus refocused her and brought in the spiritual focus. And he reminds her of the mission by saying, Hey, listen, stop grabbing hold of me. I'm going to be going back to heaven. Get the brethren, the, the disciples, and remind them, tell them what I've already told you that we're going to be doing. He gets her refocused back on the spiritual. So she takes off and she lets the disciples know that she had seen him. Now, Luke 24 tells us that after um, Jesus did that, he met up with two unnamed disciples. Uh, they were making their way to a town called Emmaus. And Jesus met up with them, was walking along with them. And they didn't really understand what was going on. And so he begins to explain to them. They don't know it's Jesus. And so he actually hid himself in that sense from them. And so, but he was telling them all that was going on. And long story short, they realized it was Jesus. Jesus is gone. They come running back to tell uh, the disciple what was going on. So that was Luke 24. Here's John's take, which is a very shrunk down version. But here's John's take or his perspective from that meeting. So when it was evening on that day, the resurrection day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, which means they were locked and barred, so they were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and has a sense that he just appeared. You know, he didn't knock on a door. He didn't pick a lock. He didn't send out a, you know, can you get the door, please? No, he just appeared and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. I mean, you can, well, Luke tells us they were frightened. They thought he was a ghost. They were probably all worked up. And so he says, you know, settle down. You know, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both of his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So they're, you know, excited and happy and all that kind of stuff. So then Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Hey, settle down. Remember, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. So he's restating what he's already been telling them before. Go ahead. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Now, um, I'm going to explain this a little bit, but I'm not going to get into the weeds on it, so if you have questions about this. Um, Luke tells us that the disciples didn't know what was going on. Jesus related to them using the, the scriptures and the prophets um, of the Old Testament on why it was he had to die and why it was he had to rise from the dead. And then he said, it, Luke says, that Jesus opened their minds. And so John says he breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit. So this is not, um, this is not Acts chapter 2, you know, when Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to come and empower you. This is not that empowering. This is John 16 that says the Holy Spirit's going to give you understanding. And so Luke said it one way, John said it another way. But the point of fact is, Oh, I got one more verse. Thank you. But Thomas, got to let you know that Thomas wasn't there. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And so these guys had this earthly focus. They were scared. 
Their leader had just been put up on a cross. Now his body has been stolen. Certainly the authorities are after them, and so they're gathering together. Jesus told them to do this, so they're doing that, but they're locking the doors. They don't want anybody to get in. They don't want the authorities to come find them and and arrest them. So Jesus, he appears. Now he's in a glorified body, and so the glorified body has different properties than our physical bodies do, so he can do some things that our bodies couldn't do. So he just appears and shows up. He's done this a number of times. Uh, after his resurrection. And so he gets them back on the spiritual focus. He reminds them of what the mission is. He reminds them that the Holy Spirit is going to be given to them. And he reminds them what the authority of the gospel is going to be. So he said, hey, listen. God the Father, remember, sent me into this world. Why? He sent Jesus into the world. God the Son became man to die on the cross and take God's wrath for our sin. He's our representative. And then he rose again to defeat sin and death. So we can have spiritual life, and we have a future in heaven with God, and not have to spend eternity in hell. And so he gives them the Holy Spirit in a sense of giving them understanding. The Holy Spirit's responsibility is to give us understanding. And so he does that. Luke says it's, he opened their minds. Whatever the case, they got it. Now they understand. It all came together. The dots have been connected. And then he's reminded them of the authority that the gospel will give them. And what he means by that is this. This is not for Christians. He's not teaching Christians need to go to their pastor or their priest and, and have someone tell them their, their sins are absolved. So please don't come to me. I'm not going to forgive you of your sins. But here's what I can tell you, and this is what Jesus is talking about. That based on the Bible, based on the gospel message, if you were to come to me and you were to say, hey, Harold, I, I prayed to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. I asked him to forgive me my sins, and I'm trusting that he died on the cross for my sins. Based on what the Bible says, I can tell you that your sins are forgiven by God. Now, if you come to me and say, I just reject Jesus, I don't believe he did that kind of stuff, I'm good to go, then I can tell you based on Scripture that your sins are not forgiven. And so that's what Jesus is saying. That's, that's the authority. And it's given to every believer <clears throat> to have that authority. It's not just given to the ten disciples that were there. Thomas wasn't there, which also is kind of an, an issue if that was the case. So as you might guess, Jesus' appearance and the reminder of what they were supposed to do and them kind of getting it and they're understanding it, now they're excited. They want to go find Thomas. So they take off and they find Thomas and here's the conversation they have. So the other disciples are saying to him, to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, in his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, so that's something he said the previous Sunday, now it's the following Sunday, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, does the same thing, he just shows up um, in his locked room, and stood in their midst and said, because now they're all freaking out again, see Thomas, see, told you, told you. You know, peace be with you, calm down, listen up. Then he said to Thomas, because he knows exactly what Thomas said eight days before, because he's God, right? Reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here your hand and put it in my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God, And Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. He's 
I'm talking about us today, those of us who have come to Christ without seeing him physically. There's a, a greater blessing there. There's a deeper faith that's needed, that's given to us. So Jesus shows up and he relieves Mary's hopelessness. He shows up and he relieves the fear of the disciples. Now he comes back and he shows up to relieve Thomas's doubt. See, here's the deal. Jesus is in the business of breaking down the barriers of unbelief. The things that stand in our way of truly understanding who he is and being willing to trust him, he shows up. Thomas wanted to be able to touch the scars and to see the scars. Again, his focus was very earthly in that sense. But God, or Jesus, shows up and, and gives them that opportunity. And when he sees Jesus, he doesn't need to see them, the scars anymore. He, just, he knows it's Jesus. And he calls out my Lord and my God. See, the resurrection is true. Jesus did rise from the dead. And him showing up changed everything in the lives of his followers. Their hopelessness, their, their fear, their, their doubt, it all changed to belief. And it wasn't just belief, but it was belief with action. It, it motivated them and spurred them to do what Jesus called them to do, the mission that was given to them. And we know the mission is accomplished because here we sit, knowing the same gospel, believing in the same Jesus, receiving the same salvation, having the same Holy Spirit residing in us who have placed our faith in Christ. And so for us today, what, what does it mean? What do, we, what do we do with this? Well, if you're a believer here this morning, the message that we need to get on mission with Jesus' mission. We, we need to be spreading the gospel. We need to be getting up every morning ready to share who Jesus Christ is through how we live and what we say. Mary and the disciples, they allowed their earthly focus to distract them to get them all discombobulated. They, were, they didn't know what was going on. They were frustrated. They were irritated. They were emotionally worked up because they forgot what the mission was. And we tend to do that as well. Our life struggles, our frustrations, the media, culture, politics, we get all distracted, all worked up with what we see around us and worrying and unsure and this president and that president and the gas prices and the oil prices and food prices and the egg prices, which by the way are gold, so hang on to those. Talk about goose laid the golden egg. And so we get all worked up, we get all distracted. When we've forgotten that as Jesus was sent into the world, so he has sent us into the world. What I mean by that is this. Everything we face, the struggles that we face, the difficulties that we go through, the, the relationships that we struggle with, the irritations that we feel, the politics that we have around us, the culture that we have around us, if you take those and you sift them through the gospel, it gives clarity to what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go into each of those situations, each of those relationships, each of those things that are causing other people to be distressed and scared and frustrated, and we bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. We come in and we represent Christ. And we win the right to share with them 
that they can have a relationship with God. They can have sins forgiven. They can have a restored relationship with Him. They can have Him in their lives here and now to take Him through this crazy world that we're living in. And then one day take us to heaven. Each of us believers have been saved by God. We've been sent by Jesus. And we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit for that purpose in the life and the frustrations that we find ourselves in. Well, John finishes his chapter with the purpose for why he wrote. And we've been talking about this a lot in the last several weeks, couple months, whatever it's been that we've been in John. But I just want to remind you, especially if you haven't been here, this is what he says. He kind of finishes this up in this chapter. He says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So some scholars did some work on this, and they looked at the three, three and a half years that Jesus was on earth. So there's 1,080 days that he was here on earth doing the ministry. He obviously lived longer than that. But we only really have about 50 days of those 1,080 days. So 4.6% of all that Jesus said and did, we know about through the four Gospels. So there was a lot more that he did, a lot more people that he healed and, and all that kind of good stuff. And you know, a lot of different ways they might have shared the same. He didn't change his message, of course. But these, the things that John chose to write down, that the Holy Spirit gave John and brought back to his um, memory, have been written so you may believe. Believe what? Well, that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Savior King, he's the Son of God, which means he is God, and that believing that, you may have life. And he's talking about eternal life in his name. And so for you here this morning that don't believe are struggling because of a barrier of belief that you might have the resurrection for you means this believe put your full weight of trust that Jesus died on the cross for your sins that he rose again to give you spiritual life and victory over sin and death and receive the eternal life that God's offering you like Thomas, you just need to say that to him. Your heart to his heart. Some Easter's, I'll pray a prayer and I'll encourage you to pray with me. And we sometimes do, hey, if you did pray that prayer, raise your hand. We're not going to do that this morning. Because all you need to do is have a conversation with God. All you need to do is, is tell him that you believe that Jesus is your Savior from your sin, that he is the Lord of your life, that he is the God that you are going to worship with your life. And like I said, or like John said, or Jesus said, there's, there's a special blessing. There's a, a depth of faith that comes with that because you're not seeing Jesus in the flesh. But if you're not there yet, let me ask you, what is your barrier? What's keeping you back from fully trusting that Jesus really did die, that Jesus really did rise from the dead, that he did that for you, for your sin, so you can have a relationship with God? What's, what's the barrier? For some, it might be just hopelessness because you feel like God would never forgive me. I've been chasing God all my life and I just can't seem to catch him. For others, you might be fearful because you know if you do that, you're going to have people making fun of you and giving you a hard time and for others, it just may be doubt. You doubt his existence. You doubt his resurrection. So let me just challenge you to do something, if that's you. See if you're gutsy enough to do this. Let Jesus show up. 
No. If you see a, a body, you need to come talk to me. All right? We know he's going to come back one day, but it, we won't get into it. But it's not, you know, if you see that, come talk to me. Now, how does Jesus show up today? Because it's spiritual. He shows up by time in the Bible. Jesus already talked about this in John 16, that the Holy Spirit is to give us understanding. The Holy Spirit is to give us understanding of what salvation is and our need for salvation. So let let Jesus show up. Spend time. Gospel of John is a great gospel. Start reading it and just have a conversation. God, I don't really know you. I don't know if you're sure what's going on. Help me understand. And God's Holy Spirit will give you that understanding. And then let us help. Those of us who have been in your shoes. We've had the same barriers. We've had the same questions. We've had the same issues. We've done the research. And we found our answers in Jesus Christ. And so here's how I'd like to end the service. I'd like to challenge you. That's you. I want to offer my time to sit with you. You can buy me lunch. No, it's not. Uh, I mean, you can. I'm not saying anyway. I want to offer my time. And I would love to hear what the barrier is. And then give me an opportunity. You don't have to believe me. You don't have to. I'm not going to coerce you. I'm just going to lay out for you what the Bible teaches on whatever that barrier is, whatever it is that's holding you back. In fact, this is how gutsy I am. You can fill out a Connect card with your information, and I'll contact you and set up a time that we can talk. And I've put my cell number up there. 240, that's Hagerstown, Maryland, but don't worry about it. It'll still get me. And unlike Greg, Clark, and Jason, who texted me about this, um, I will get back to you. I told them I'm busy and I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to deal with you guys. I would love to have an opportunity to have a conversation with you about whatever that barrier is and to show you from God's word what he has to say about that. The band's going to come up. And we're going to close in a song. And as they're making their way up, let me go ahead and just close in prayer. You can stand. And uh, let me close in prayer. And then we'll sing a last song before we take off.